Daddy, we sure do praise you. We sure do love you. Thank you, Father. The Word declares that you make us to lie down in green pastures. I don't believe that means you you necessarily force us, but your love compels us. Your grace compels us to lie down in green pastures. What does that green pasture look like? Well, it's a place where sheep are not scared and they've been well fed. Daddy, those are the two greatest compliments that could ever be paid a ministry, that they're not scared anymore, fear has left them, and that they're well fed. And I think there's a relationship between those two things. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear, violently casts out all fear. It doesn't just leave it behind, it casts it away, indicating I will not need you anymore. There are people out there today that need a fresh touch. Maybe they've not sensed your presence for a while. Maybe they've not heard that gentle whisper. And Daddy, when that happens, sometimes we can find ourselves going through the motions. They're empty. So I understand what it means to have that awakening, that knowing that you're stirring in our hearts. And so thank you that you desire to do the same for us, that you desire to continually fall fresh on us, that you never get old, so we never tire of those fresh encounters and those fresh touches. So thank you, Father, that you're touching us in the deepest seated part of our existence, in our hearts, in our soul man, in our spirit man, touching us and reaffirming just how whole we are changing our pictures to correspond and relate with what the gospel says, that we are perfect and we are flawless. Why? Because that's exactly how Jesus is, and we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to receive your giving in a couple of minutes here. The Christian life is about faithfulness and not faithful just in giving, but faithful in living. Okay? See, I get to live every single moment. I don't know as though I'm giving every single moment, but I get to live every moment in Him. And when I was looking in the Word this morning, I thought, where will that word faithful come up for the first time? You have to understand one thing about the Bible is... When they translated it, for example, from the Old Testament from Hebrew to English, it was kind of a hard thing for them to do because our English words can be so scattered. You know, they can mean so many different things where the Hebrew is very, very specific about it. And so sometimes we translate words in English that were not necessarily meant to be translated that way the word faithful doesn't come up for quite a ways into the Bible, but the Hebrew word does come up very early in the Bible. And guess where it comes up at first? With a man by the name of Abraham, right? But it doesn't use the word faithful. It uses the word believed. And I'll show you that in just a second. It uses the word believed. But the word faithful and believed, even though they're two different English words, they are the exact same Hebrew word. There's no difference. Faithful and believe, same word. Let's take a look at how it comes up in the narrative here. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Afterwards, Jehovah spoke to Abram in a vision, and this is what he told him. Don't be fearful, Abram. 
for I will defend you and I will give you great blessing. Look at what God has to say. First thing, don't be fearful, Abram, for I will defend you. So no matter what situation we go through in life, we must always know that God is saying the same thing. Don't be afraid. I'm going to defend you. He said, for I will give you great blessings. Now remember, our covenant, the new covenant is patterned after Abraham, not Moses, Abraham. And I don't have those scriptures today, but in Galatians chapter 3, you can see that because he specifically reaches all the way back and grab these scriptures in Galatians 3. Continuing, it says this. But Abram replied, O Lord Jehovah, what good are all your blessings when I have no son? You know, I didn't think about this until just now, but Marty and I were texting back and forth yesterday, just, uh, you know, initially about Sarah. And I was just thanking Marty and David and Jean for loving us and being part of our church, you know. And I said to her in a text, I, I wouldn't want to do church without you guys. And she said the same thing back. And that's kind of what Abraham is saying here. He says, listen, he says, what good are all the blessings if I don't have relationships? I mean, what good is church without relationships, without getting to know people, changing their lives, watching their lives get changed? Abram is basically saying, listen, I really am not interested in, if you gave me all this wealth, but no son? to share my wealth with. It's one of the greatest things in the Christian walk is learning how to share with others. Sometimes it is finances. Other times it's other things. In fact, most of the time it probably is not finances. He says, for without a son, some other member of my household will inherit all my wealth. Okay? Then Jehovah told him, no, no one else will be your heir, for you will have a son to inherit everything you own. Then God brought Abram outside beneath the nighttime sky and told him, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. He gave him an impossible task. You can't count all the stars. I've said before, by the time you could pinpoint different ones and you kind of get mixed up as you go, which ones you've counted, which ones you haven't counted. But by the time you did the virtual 360, your world would have moved on you he says, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. Look at that word right there. And Abram believed God. Then God considered him righteous on account of his faith. I love this. Because it's the same thing God does today. He counts us righteous because we believe him. We believe his son died on the cross. We believe his son rose from the grave. We believe that we come to him by faith alone. And God says, that's all I need. All I need you to do is be faithful. Just believe. And Abram believed God. Let's look at that word. Abram believed God. Then God considered him righteous on account of his faith. Continuing. That word believe right there in the Hebrew is aman. Does it sound a little familiar? It's where we get our word amen. God reached all the way back. This is the first time it comes up in the Bible. The root of amen comes from aman, and it's when Abram believed God. Now that is worth saying amen to. When we believe God, all of heaven said yes and amen. Yes and amen. 
Now, what I love about this Hebrew word, Hebrew always reads from right to left. So you see that what looks like an X and then kind of like an N and maybe like a little seven or something like that. Those are the three Hebrew letters that build the word Aman. The first one is Aleph and then Mem and then Nun. Aleph, Men, Nun. It's Aman. Amen. See it? Aleph, Mem, Nun. I love what these resemble and what they mean. The word picture for Aleph is an ox. It means strength. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it is always a picture of God. Aleph is strength, like the ox, picture of the father. They call the Aleph the father of all letters. Aleph. The next letter is Mem. The Hebrew picture for Mem is water. Now, you won't see it when looking at this, but there's a pictograph, and when you look at the picture that they would inscribe on the wall, it would look like water. It would have a ripple effect. And then noon, the pictograph for noon is seed. It's like a seed. And so I began to look at that this morning in the early hours, and I'm like, wow, that began to develop in my heart. I see that. God waters seed. God waters seed. Under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God was responsible for an awful lot. Why? Because we lost dominion. We lost dominion in the garden. Adam had dominion until he ate from the tree, and he lost that dominion, and we got that dominion back at the cross. Jesus gave us that dominion back. We are not helpless. We are not hopeless. We don't even have to be harassed because we have dominion. We have power. And so what God was doing for a long time was he was the one responsible for all the watering and he was the one responsible for all the seed. But again, the cross changed that. We see that truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Look at this. The Apostle Paul said, What do you think Paul is anyway? Or Apollos, for that matter. Servants? Both of us, servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. We each carried out our servant assignment. Here's that famous scripture. I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. We must never forget that. We do have a responsibility to plant. We have a responsibility to water the seed. But God is always the one who makes things grow. And then continuing, he says, it's not the one who plants or the one who waters who is at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. That's a, just a translation that we all get it, right? It just, it's just a minimum wage job. What makes them worth doing is the God we are serving. You happen to be God's field in which we are working. See, that's what we all are. We're God's field. And God is planting things in our fields to grow beautiful trees and beautiful flowers and arrangements and just so decorative. That's why Jesus would overlook a field and say, consider the lilies. 
Look how beautiful they are. You know what? They don't work. They don't spin. They don't toil. They don't labor at this thing. They're just beautiful. And when we get that image, that picture in our head that we are beautiful regardless, then I'll tell you what, that in a sense is like a fertilizer on the seed and it makes it grow something so robust, so beautiful. My point for this is, this is the way the Holy Spirit was communicating it to me this morning, is simply this. Even before the Old Covenant, even with Abram, God was doing everything. He spoke only through prophets and priests and some kings. But the average person, God didn't talk to. They couldn't hear his voice like we do. We know his voice. We hear his voice. That changed at the cross. My point has always been, when it comes to anything, whether it's giving or living or, or whatever it may be, listen to Papa. We have this intrinsic responsibility to say, you know what, Daddy? There sure are some beautiful flowers in Triumphant Grace Ministries. I'd like to cut some of those and pick some of those and share them for the whole world. But I know I have a responsibility, and that responsibility is at least to plant and to water that seed, but my daddy's going to make it grow. My papa is going to make it grow. Amen? Amen. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you give us opportunity to give to the gospel. And we thank you as we give to the gospel. There's an interesting thing that takes place. Flowers look nothing like their seed. They look nothing like what goes in the ground. It's a metamorphosis as to what it goes through. And so we thank you as we have opportunity to give. We may look at it and think, that's just change, that's just money. But somehow you make a bouquet of flowers grow out of that. And in many cases, it saves people from an eternity spent without you. It saves people from an eternity spent in desperation. And so thank you, Father, we don't know, there's no way for us to measure this side of heaven what giving into the ministry does and what takes place. But we thank you, Father, that you're raising up strong pillars and towers to stand erect and declare the gospel of grace, the gospel of peace, so that people would find their way out of darkness and into your glorious light. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name.